0: Seated. Amen. Kids are dismissed down to kids' church. Teachers are ready to go with them. All right, we're gonna we're gonna kick things off a little, little with a little game today. And um, this is something my son and I do in the car to pass time. So I figured it might be fun for us to do. Um, it does have a point. Um, believe it or not, at some point in my message, it'll make sense why we're doing this. But I'm gonna we're gonna play a game called Would You Rather. So I'm going to give you two options. Um, this, some of these might be friendship breakers. So if you're offended that someone else might view a different way, then just don't look around because you might lose friends. So the first thing we're going to say, so would you rather, I'm going to um, ask you to raise your hands at some point, but would you rather uh, be in a commercial for Apple's next iPhone or Samsung's Galaxy phone? Apple? Apple? Samsung? Ooh, you're out. You're ooh. Ooh. Yeah, some of you are party poopers and you're not going to choose either because you're going to go, I didn't come to church to play this. That's fine. That's fine. There's a church out there somewhere for you. Just kidding. Just kidding. Would you rather be paid to wear a sweatshirt advertising dog food or cat food? Dog food? Cat food. Okay, thanks for coming, guys. This will be your last week for the cat food people. (laughs) Renovation Church does not support cat people. It's on our our website, if you want to check in our beliefs section. Um, Would you rather drive around in a foreign or domestic car? Foreign? Domestic. Ooh, that was kind of split right in the middle. Some people are really crazy about that, too. They'll get really angry, so hopefully that didn't end any friendships. Would you rather be sponsored by Nike or Under Armour? Nike. Under Armour. Ooh, almost a split again. Man. Would you rather deliver Pepsi products or Coca-Cola products? Pepsi? Coca-Cola. Ooh, Coca-Cola wins that one. Would you rather have to eat once a week at Chick-fil-A or... Never mind, nothing's going to have a chance against (laughs) Chick-fil-A. All right, would you rather work at Burger King or Taco Bell? Burger King, home of the Whopper. Taco Bell. Oh, Taco Bell. The best thing at Taco Bell I ever had isn't on the menu anymore is the chicken... Chicken Baja Chalupa. Let's just think about that for a minute. We'll come back to Jesus in a minute. Let's just think about that. All right, would you rather live near a beach or a city? Beach or city? Ooh, that was in the middle. I thought most people would say beach because we're in the middle of the tundra. But, all right, look, would you rather look like some... Oh, that's my, that's my favorite one. Would you rather look like someone who shops at Walmart or Spencer Gifts? Walmart? <laughs> Spencer Gifts. Ah! So good. Some of you are offended that I might have been making fun of people that dress like Spencer Gifts. That's okay. It's okay. Would you rather have your own personal special on uh, Netflix or Amazon Prime? Netflix? Amazon Prime? Ooh, Netflix wins that one. All right, here's, this is the friendship breaker. So cl- if you have to, close your eyes, don't look around. Would you rather get free Starbucks or Dunkin' for life? Starbucks? Oh, Dunkin', I'm so, oh, there's more of you than I thought. All right, Dunkin' is uh, what I call brown hot water, but I'm glad some of you enjoy it. Um, so within this corny youth groupy game, um, there is an idea that each of us would rather be identified with one thing than another, if given the choice. Obviously, some of those you might even say, I'm not really interested in being identified with either of those, but you chose one out of them. Um, and these are obviously insignificant things. They don't matter in the long run. Um, but we're going to see something play out today in our passage that is significant in regard to identity, and does have significant impact on how we identify with it. So um, we're going to look at uh, Romans 12. And before we get there, I just want to give you kind of an overview of where we are in the book. And it's important to do this because the only reason that this makes sense and that this is, this is going to get super practical. The last four uh, chapters of this book are about as practical as you can get. And Because um, Paul has just laid out um, a truth bomb for 11 chapters. And he says, with that foundation, this is how we are to live now. So what is that foundation? Well, chapters 1 through 4, they outline how the gospel reveals God's righteousness. Chapter 1 is all humanity is hopelessly trapped in sin and needs to be rescued. Chapter 2, this rescue will not be the result of people obeying the laws of the Torah. Chapter 3, God's righteous character moves him to rescue the world through Jesus' death and resurrection. Chapter 4, he did this so that he could create a faith-based, multi-ethnic family of Abraham as his people. Chapters 5 through 8, now we get to another section, outlines how being part of this new family means being part of a new humanity. Back in chapter 3, Paul explains that when people place their faith in Christ, three main things happen. One, they're given a new status. They're right with God now, and they're forgiven of their sins. They're given a new family. They're placed in a new family, which is the covenant people of Abraham. And they're given this new future, this promise of a transformed life from the inside out. Something happens on the inside, and it affects and transforms how we live on the outside. That was in chapter 3. So now in chapter 5, this means that everything about us changes the moment that transformation takes place. God is literally creating a brand new humanity, a new way of living through Jesus and the Spirit. And following Jesus means ditching your old sin-filled life that, that represents Adam in the garden way back in, as the first people, and living this new grace-filled life like Jesus in this new humanity. And then in chapter seven, uh, or ch- sorry, chapter six, we see that baptism is the sacred Uh, the sacred symbol of this transition, and we go under the water in our sin, like Christ went to the grave with our sin, and then we rise victorious, free from our sin, cleansed clean, ready to live this new life just like Jesus was resurrected from the dead of his own power to save us from our sin. Then chapter 7, many of those uh, that come to this and they're reading this letter, remember this is written to a large group of people, many of those at the time would struggle to see life apart uh, from strict obedience to the law. That's what they were doing. And so to come to terms with this idea that something different is happening, this new covenant is happening, this new life, this new humanity is being created, is difficult for them. And so Paul makes this case that while the law is good and perfect, nobody can follow it. Because evil has completely hijacked the human heart that we are now incapable of of following Jesus, of following God, of doing his will, because our hearts are completely wicked. Paints this picture. And the law cannot do anything about it. It can't help us. It can only show us how wrong we are, but it can't save us from what we're wrong about. Chapter 8, then he goes into the in, into how Jesus is the only hope we have as the one who paid for our sins dealt with our sins, and then released the Spirit of God into the hearts of his people, now we have been liberated to live this new life. We couldn't live it before. Jesus' death cleanses us, and then the Spirit enters us, and now we're capable because of God in us. That's, chapter, that's 5 through 8. 9 through 11 then outlines how this story even fulfills the promise to the current Israelites that don't acknowledge Jesus as a Messiah. What, ha- what about them? What happened, there's this promise that God makes in the Old Testament, and how how does it affect those that don't acknowledge Jesus? Well, chapter 9 is Israel's past, and um, Paul shows how a physical descendant of Abraham did not automatically make them a covenant member of Abraham's family. Just because you can trace your lineage and your line, your bloodline, back to Abraham does not make you right with God paints this picture very specifically. And God has always used people from Abraham's family, specific people, to bring forth his will. Think of um, he used uh, Isaac instead of Ishmael. He used Jacob instead of Esau. And now that's fulfilled through his followers of Christ. Those that are being transformed are the ones that are carrying out this will of God in chapter 10 now is Israel's present and he paints a picture that why aren't you living this life now why aren't you accepting Christ as your savior why aren't you um, why are you rejecting the message that Jesus is putting forth and it's because their covenant they, they were basing their covenant relationship with God on their performance of living the, the living out the law as long as they could do that they would say I did it and you now Paul had already talked about how that's impossible because our hearts are wicked but they're still stuck on it. And so the past is, just because you had lineage doesn't make you in line with Abraham as far as a covenant member of his family. And now you're still trying to perform for God because God was, God was um, trying to create this new humanity through Christ, which was a, uh, a new covenant family based on faith, not works. Really important. Then, is, then chapter 11 is Israel's future. Is God done with Israel? No, he's not done with Israel. There's tons of Jewish people that are beginning to follow Christ, that God is changing their hearts and seeing Christ in the way that he should be seen. This rejection has actually caused the gospel, this is what's really cool that Paul talks about, this rejection of the Jewish people, some of the Jewish people of rejecting Christ as their Messiah is actually pushing the message of, of Christ further and further into the Gentile world faster and further. And all that word means, Gentile, is that you're not Jewish. That's all it means. Every other people in the world that's not Jewish, that's the Gentile. And so now it's going out and reaching everyone. And Paul uses this picture of an olive tree. This is going to be something we're going to, this is why I wanted to get to this because when we start talking about chapter 12, this is a big deal. Um, It's connected. And he uses this picture of an olive tree as God's covenant family where those who have rejected christ are being broken off the tree literally snapping the branches and tossing them aside because they're no longer part they're not part of the tree they're rejecting the message so he's throwing them away and then this whole new group of people that didn't originally that that weren't uh that didn't originate in the tree are now being grafted in these gentiles these new people are being brought in and grafted into the tree Now once we hit the final chapters of the book, Paul gets really practical. It's kind of where the rubber meets the road, and as people from other ethnic groups and cultures come together in Jesus, think about the conflict that is inevitable. Think about our would-you-rather game earlier. Those are fun and goofy. Some people might have strong opinions about Starbucks and Dunkin'. You got issues if you do. It's just coffee. Drink what you want. Who cares? Who cares? I mean, if you've got an issue with Chick-fil-A, then we can't talk. But coffee, whatever. Just kidding. Think about what kind of things we disagree with in church. Should we have pews or chairs? Does it matter? What kind of songs should we sing? What's the role of a pastor? People have different opinions about that. What in the world? Why is there so much gray in this church? I don't know. I don't know really the answer to that. I can, I can claim ignorance because it was like that when I got here in 2016. So I have no part in the paint choice. What versions of the Bible should we use? What should evangelism look like? How should discipleship take form within the body of Christ? Where does fellowship fit into the regular regular rhythm of church life? Should we eat food and drink coffee in the sanctuary? There's tons, there's like little things and big things and things that matter and things that don't matter, but we all have different opinions. And if you really started to ask some of these questions and somebody who was really passionate about some of these answers within the church, you can begin to get conflict. Now I want you to bring that to a whole other level as these Gentiles are beginning to become grafted into the olive tree and they have entirely different cultural norms, entire their heritage is much different what they believe about things is much different what how they think about things how they live out their life is much different and so all of those people are now becoming part of the church can you imagine how many arguments are going to start to be had about what you can and can't eat what's sacred and not sacred how you should act in this situation how you should act in this situation arguments are inevitable in this situation Think about this, we're all from this suburban place called North Syracuse, so regardless of race and social status or economics, we share life together in this little part of the world, and in Paul's time, as God was drawing other non-Jewish cultures into the family of God, grafting them into the olive tree, they were bringing all of their cultural norms with them, and sometimes things got hostile. Now, Paul is now going to make the argument that this can only be overcome by humility, forgiveness, and reconciliation. That's how we will get through this. Our posture, our response, and our attitudes. Humility, forgiveness, and reconciliation. You'll see that as a theme as we work through the next four chapters because those are the things that we're going to see have to be true and displayed in the body of Christ to be able to accurately display the love of Christ. So chapters 12 through 16 outlines how the church will display their unity in Christ. Christ is what they have in common, Jesus, amongst their differences. In chapters 12 through 13, this unity will come from a commitment to love and forgive both those in the church and those outside the church. We heard two weeks ago, um, as Mike went through the beginning of chapter 12, and it talks about our gifts, and that we display the love of God when we use and give away our gifts and talents for the, for the good of the people of God. So even, it, even in our little microcosm of Renovation Church, how we use our gifts and, and, and puts on display God's love for each other. That when we use what God has gifted us with to benefit each other, we get to see God at work. That's why I think it's so imperative that we don't uh, neglect coming together in this place because we get to see God at work through each other. And when we isolate ourselves, we're robbing the whole church of how we would display God and we're, we're neglecting and even passively ignoring, or I would say actively ignoring, how Christ would be displayed for us. Through everyone else then last week chris talked about how love needs to be genuine needs to be real can't be mixed with hypocrisy it can't be contaminated with self-interest it has to be genuine real love we are not to put on a show and pretend that we love we are to truly actually legitimately radically love Sometimes that's going to put us in difficult situations. So now, in the next section of chapter 12, Paul gets crazy. It's one thing to say within the church, let's love and serve each other. That makes sense. We all should get along. I should leave out my personal preferences. I don't have to bully. I don't have to be a bully and make sure my way is the only way in the body of Christ. I can leave room for other people's thoughts. I can, I can be gracious and calm. I don't have to be all angry about stuff um, that I don't need to be angry about. But now he starts to say this. Look at this, chapter 12, 14 through 17. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. The one thing that stands out to this is the words like no one, all, it's... There's nobody outside of this that we could say, well, not that person. And I don't have to do that in this situation. It's all and no one. This is an entirely different situation. He moved from blessing and honoring and caring for and putting on display Christ for the people of God to now the people that hate you because you hate God or because you love God. You're supposed to do that for them too. And that's hard. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. All right, so give me a, throw throw this back at me. What is the normal cultural response to somebody doing something against you? Say, complain, Facebook. (laughs) Vent on Facebook. The world's dumping ground for everyone's issues. Strike back. Get back at them. Give them what they deserve. How dare they do this to me? How dare they try to destroy my image? How dare they try to mess with my reputation? They're wrong in what they're doing. They're wrong in how they're doing it. They don't even understand the whole situation, and they're making poor choices at my expense. So guess what? They're dead to me. And whatever happens to them, whether it's from me or anybody else, good. They deserve it. Guys, this happens when somebody takes your parking lot, your parking spot at Wegmans. (laughs) We're not, I mean, we don't even have to be that sinned against for us to get like this. It's not like somebody comes into our house and takes all our stuff and we're we're driving in Wegmans and someone pulls in really quick and all of a sudden, then you realize your kid's in the back and you're like, I'm sorry for that. I did not display Christ for you. (laughs) It doesn't take much because we're that arrogant. We're, We're that haughty that we think we deserve that parking spot. And they deserve me to be mad at them for taking it. It's revenge. That's our natural response. Retribution. I can't get, I'll be honest, I can't get enough of movies like Taken with, Liam Nilsson or Payback with Mel Gibson, or John Wick with Keanu Reeves. I literally just got done binge-watching the second season of The Punisher on Netflix. I love those shows. The good guy getting back at the bad guys at all costs, throwing caution at the wind. I don't care. You did something to me. Watch me destroy you. There's a part of our lives that kind of relate to that. We don't like the bad guy getting the best, uh, getting the best of us. Um, a real life story. So uh, when I was, before I was a youth pastor, I was a youth leader. And um, we, we would go to this uh, winter retreat once a year in Speculator. And this one year, so I'm at, I'm at uh, the retreat. I'm with uh, three other guys in my room at this um, resort this camp, this camping resort in speculator New York, and so um, we walk into our room after lunch one day, and all of our stuff, all of our clothes are all mixed up and they 're put on our on one bed, one of our bunk beds, and then with industrial strength plastic wrap, an entire roll is wrapped around the whole bed with our clothes in it. It's so thick, it's like steel. You can't even see through it. If anybody knows what industrials, this isn't your little flimsy saran wrap in your, in your drawer in your, in your house, in your kitchen. This is this industrial stuff that they wrap pallets in so it doesn't fall over in trucks driving down the highway. That's what's holding our clothes onto the entire roll because they left the empty tube on top of it <laughs> to show us that the entire roll was used To hide our clothes. So I went on a uh, recon mission, (laughs) secretly trying to discover who had the audacity to mix our clothes up and do this. So I pretended that I thought it was funny. I'm like, oh, that was awesome. I wonder who did that. you guys know who did that? That was great. That was funny. Yeah, it took us 12 hours to get it out. But that was so funny. Oh, man, it was great. Yeah, and then I finally, someone ratted somebody out. So I'm like, all right, I know what to do now. So there was this one girl, and during, the next, during uh, the next day, I went into their room, and I took all of her personal hygiene products and threw them in the toilet. <laughs> For some reason, I thought that was an adequate way of saying, I got you back, by throwing a female's hygiene products in the public toilet of the retreat. To make matters worse, she didn't even do it. They lied to me. So I have now destroyed this girl's experience at our Christian retreat at Speculator New York by dumping all of her hygiene products, toothbrush, comb, soap, shampoo, whatever, anything that wasn't electronic, just decimated her. Then I spent the next two days uh, profusely (laughs) apologizing. I'm so sorry. I can't. Nobody, everyone was coming against me. People are like, I can't believe you did that. That was way too far, way too far. And I'm like, no, what was way too far is them. (laughs) They started this, but I felt, I did feel bad because it wasn't even hurt. Yeah. I mean, at least I, you know, at least I I told them, at least I didn't burn their books. When I was in high school, if someone tried to mess with me, I was too scrawny, and I would figure out the lock of your, the combination of your locker, and I'd go in and take all your books, and then I'd burn them in my backyard. (laughs) I'm psychotic, guys. I got issues. Good th- I'm just so glad for everyone else that I love Jesus because I don't do those things much anymore. <laughs> so, um, and I wouldn't tell anyone because I didn't want anyone to know. But here's the thing. Bless, when you really get into this, what I should have done, which we rarely ever do because we don't think of it naturally. Bless means to praise or show favor to. So when somebody does something against you, What this verse is saying is our attention should be put on them abnormally so in order to express favor to them, to especially care for them who are doing no care for us, but to especially care for them to display the love of God. What does persecute mean? It means to harass, make trouble, mistreat on account of your allegiance to Christ. And curse is to wish or do harm. So we are not to wish or do harm. We are to show favor to. That is absolutely crazy in my assessment. Only the God of the universe would ask his people to do that, to bless those who are intentionally going after you, to do you physical, emotional harm, relational harm, steal your job, do whatever. I can't help but think of Christ saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I just can't help but think of that in this verse. He displayed it for us. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They didn't take his parking spot. They were murdering him. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He puts favor to them. Father, forgive them. Them. Right there, those people doing this. Father, forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing. They don't know who I am. Then it goes, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. This sounds a little less intense, right? It's kind of like a breather. Okay, I can do that. When people are rejoicing, I can rejoice with you. When you're weeping, I can weep with you. That's E, okay, that, all right, Good. Because as far as rejoicing, I tend to think of a wedding where everyone's dancing. I don't dance because nobody wants to see that. But there are people dancing that are good at it. And there's, lots of acti- there's fun activities and there's joy and you know, you're celebrating. And then, there's a, and then weeping is more like the funeral s- situation, you know, sadness, grief. But how, however, the tone here is a bit more subtle. How do you rejoice with a person in your company who got the promotion that you didn't get? How do you weep with the person who didn't get the promotion that you got? How do you not celebrate in a way that boasts about it in front of them? But there you have to go home and tell their family, I didn't get it. Sometimes we actually go for the jugular. And we actually rejoice at someone else's weeping. What about when someone gets what we think they deserve? Ha-ha! Yes! Victory! That's when we're tempted to rejoice, when they're in the midst of weeping. Sometimes, let's face it, we want to be the source of their weeping. How do we combat these emotions and natural inclinations? Well, that leads us into verse 16, live in harmony with one another. This simply means to be of the same mind. We are, to, we are not to think of ourselves as individuals, but part of a larger family. This is where the olive tree comes in. We are not individuals simply trying to do something by ourselves so that we can hopefully make God happy. As a collective people of God, we are putting him on display for those that have yet to know him. Living in harmony amongst intense diversity is only accomplished through humility, forgiveness, and reconciliation. How we treat each other matters. How we talk about the church as a whole, our church specifically to others, matters. How we think about each other matters because what we think about each other is what's going to come out about each other some way, shape, or form. So our posture is humility, thinking of others above ourselves. Our response to hurt is forgiveness, removing the debt, that they may owe us because of wrongs they've done to us. And our goal is reconciliation, a vibrant, healthy, genuine love for each other. It's not. I'm just not going to talk to you anymore because you're kind of annoying to me and I don't, we're never going to get along. It's not, that's not it. It's not ignoring each other so that we don't fight. It's giving up the battle altogether. It's laying down your weapons. White flag of surrender. I'm going to love you. Making a choice. I'm going to love you. I'm going to tell people when I talk about you, they're going to think you're my best friend. Even though we might not get along all the time, they're going to know that that doesn't matter. And I'm not going to fake it to put on a show. I'm going to really mean what I say. I'm going to really mean what I say. So, how do we live in harmony with one another? Well, I'm glad you asked because the next verse answers that question. Do not be haughty. Haughtiness destroys harmony. But associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Basically, said, this is what this means stop ignoring hurting people because you're so busy trying to convince everyone else you're so great. You think you're awesome. You want everyone else to know. And while you're busy trying to make sure they get it, there's people that need you, and we're ignoring them. <laughs> Haughty is self-exaltant. Lowly is grieved, depressed, and spiritually crushed. When I hear lowly, I, used to, I usually tend to think of like um, homelessness or something like that and down and out. But it's really larger than that. While the sentiment is there, the meaning of the word is grieved, depressed, and spiritually crushed. It's those in our society that are isolating themselves from the rest of us because their hearts hurt. They need God's people to demonstrate God's love through them. Paul is warning us that if we are more worried about how others perceive us than we are about the hurting among us, we'll neglect them and inadvertently ignore them. So this idea of wise in your own sight means only mindful of your own interests you're only mindful of your own interests, maybe your own ambitions. I'm going after this, and I have a soul mission to do this, and we miss all the opportunities that God throws our way. This just keeps the idea that if we have a bloated view of ourselves, we will eclipse the love of God from others. Do you realize? Think about this. When you and I ditch our self-interested selves, and begin to seek out those that are hurting around us, we put on display the love of God. We don't put on display the love of God by making sure everyone knows how we feel about everything. We put on the display the love of God as we reach out and seek out those that are hurting and lowly. And then Paul drops the hammer, the big one. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. How do you do that? In the sight of all? Well, everyone has a different opinion of what's right. How do I do what's right in the sight of all when no, we can't even agree on what's right? This is similar to verse 14 about blessing those that persecute you, but it puts the long game in perspective. Repay means to discharge what is due. They did something, they deserve something. We are not to do that. We are not to discharge what is due. And evil, repaying no one evil for evil, means wicked, destructive, and causing trouble. So when someone is wicked, destructive, and causing trouble, we are not to be wicked, destructive, and causing trouble in response. Jesus in Matthew chapter 12, verse 38, he says this, You have heard that it has been said of old time, You shall give an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But then he goes on. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. And if someone smacks you on the right cheek, turn them the other also. (laughs) Okay, Jesus. That sounds nice. Someone smacks me on the cheek, bro? It's going down. Like, oh, that was nice. Here, here's that one. I can't imagine a... I'm, not I'm just telling you I'm not mature enough for this. I can't handle this type of stuff. I don't know how to... Li- Someone smacks me, the last thing I'm going to do is make myself available for another beating. This is crazy. Honorable is beautiful, commendable, admirable as well as morally good. When somebody says, if that were to take place... Let's think in an ideal situation. Someone smacks you. Somehow rage doesn't fill your heart. And you say, hey man, hit me again, right? Use this one though. One, they're going to think you're weird. They might run away. But two, those around you will see something that they've never seen before. They don't see a revenge-filled retribution-oriented response. They'll see who Jesus is, whether they know it or not in that moment, because when Jesus was being whipped, he didn't whip them back. When Jesus was being crucified, he didn't get down. And He could have, dude, he's Jesus. He could have done anything in that moment that he wanted to. But he took it. And not really to make this point, obviously. He was doing that to secure our eternity, to secure forgiveness for God's people. To provide for us the needed redemption that we so desperately needed. But the reputation is what is kind of on the docket here. God's reputation. Who, what are the people of God going to do in the midst of these types of situations? And they must have been happening. Paul's making reference to these things because they were probably happening the people of God were probably responding in ways that wasn't glorifying to God. And so he's telling these people, when this happens, this is how you do and don't respond in this new humanity. You've been grafted into this family or you've been part of this family and have not been broken off because you have not rejected Christ. Now we live like this. Reputation matters. What people see pour out of us provides proof of who is inside of us. Think about what naturally comes out of you, and you will know who is in you. That hurts. Should go the extra mile and actively put on God's display, God's love on display. So let me, let me ask you this. Who is making your life a miserable hell right now? Let's get real. When I said that and someone came to your mind, can you imagine doing this, what we just talked about? Humility, forgiving them, and moving to reconcile with them to have a vibrant, healthy, loving relationship with this person in the midst of what they've done to you. Only God could ask you to do that. Let <laughs> me ask you this. Whose life are you making a miserable living helper? Who are you treating in a way that maybe they would think of you? That's a hard question. 1 Corinthians 5.17 says this. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Remember our little game in the beginning, who would you rather be like? Well, who would you rather be like, sin-filled Adam or grace-filled Jesus? That's our question. We'd all say grace-filled Jesus, but man, it's hard. Man. Again, it's easy to use my gifts in the church. Here you go. Oh, I'm good at this. Oh, I'll help you. Oh, I'll help you. I'll help you. I'll help you. Oh, we're great. Hey, we love each other. Sweet. Then we go out there and it's, it's a war. That's where it's hard. You have been grafted, listen to this, you have been grafted, if you're, if you're a follower of Christ, you have been grafted into the olive tree and adopted into the family of God. And we are to put on display our new identity. I can't help but think that as the people of God all over this planet continue to grow in these things and begin to excel in these things, how much those who persecute us will benefit from God's love being put on display. lastly, I can't help but think of the impact we would have on our coworkers, our neighbors, our family members, as well as the community of North Syracuse in general if we were to take some of these things to heart and just begin to pray through them. Here's the first step. This is what I'm going to close with. If you're struggling with this, your first step is simply repentance. God, forgive me. I'm not putting you on display it's going to be really easy to excuse yourself too because you're just, God, this is hard. I, it is. I'm in the same boat. I, but it's the truth. It's what he desires from us. It's what he's trying to do through us, through his spirit in us, to liberate us, to be able to live this out. This is how we put God on display. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are indebted to you because you did not give us what we deserve. You gave us the exact opposite of what we deserved because of how we treat you, have treated you, and will treat you. God, I pray that because of your response to us, that our hearts could begin to be molded in such a way that we would, we would echo that, that we would imitate that way of living in order to put more accurately you on display for the world around us. Lord, how we treat each other in this place called Renovation Church matters a lot. How we care for and love on and serve each other matters a lot. How we talk about each other, how we think about each other, matters a lot and God how we treat those that come against us intentionally that mean us harm not just physically but in any way are out to out to get us out to take advantage of us how we treat them matters a lot God, I would ask that you would forgive us for the times that we fail in this, to turn the other cheek at such a radical concept. That you have clearly shown that there is a different way that we are to live this new humanity, this new way of life. Our old life is gone. Our new life has come, and this new life is to put you on display the way you say we should. The way you say we should. Lord, I pray that your spirit would help us in this. This is not something we can do on our own. I pray that we would really think about what your word says in this way. And that those people in our lives right now, for those of us in this room that have somebody who is really coming at us, making our life difficult, I pray that you would help us to come to terms with the fact that we should display humility, forgiveness, and reconciliation. Even though that's probably the last thing we want to do, I pray that you matter more than what we would want to do. That you would shape us in this way. In Jesus' name, amen.